0: Good morning, church. Hope everyone's well this morning. And if you are not, you are, I think, at the right place at a church. Uh, So my name is Joel. Uh, Been living in Korea for the past 11 years. And uh, one of the main questions that I get asked is, how's my Korean? And so like many uh, immigrant parents who moved to the U.S. and their English didn't improve besides maybe their work language, uh, similar. And so my English in Korea improved dramatically because I was doing English ministry. And then my uh, ability to speak uh, Korean in terms of ordering food, fantastic. Outside of that, uh, I am a typical uh, Chicago Korean American. And just to let you know, I've met uh, the Korean diaspora from all over the world in Korea and we Chicago Korean Americans are the worst <laughs> in Korean. I'm not sure why, but usually on my staff we have um, a Korean British lady, uh, a Korean uh, Austrian uh, college intern, a Korean Argentinian, a Korean Korean, and a half uh, white half Korean who you know went back and forth uh, from Korea to the U.S. and they're all fluent. They're all fluent, and uh, as uh, L.J. shared, Pastor L.J. shared, um, yeah, we started. I started the church to see healthier churches uh, in Korea, and uh, it's it's the irony of God. It's, it's the it's the um, the comedic nature of God to choose the one who can't speak Korean to plant the church in Korea. For not just English speakers, but for Korean speakers, and this past uh, year, uh, I actually announced that I'm going to be stepping down as the Lord was leading our family away. But it's actually, in that time, the staffs decided, you know, if we don't start the Korean community now, we're going to be delayed another three years. And so we actually launched the Korean speaking community in Korea, and it's been wonderful. And uh, it's 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 very weird for me to be back. Uh, because America's changed a lot. I've changed a lot. Uh, so much has happened, I think, in, in our lives. It's good to see some familiar faces where we went to college and all of that. But, you know, hopefully through this time, this morning, as uh, as the church is in transition here, as I'm transitioning, that God would have a word for us. So let me uh, let me pray, and let's get started. Father, you are our god you're not just a god of america you're not just a god of korea god you are god and there is no one else god our hearts tendency is to make other things god and it's in that we see the futility of that so god open our eyes again help us to see your beauty May we worship today, not because we have to, but because we want to. We're reminded again of, God, your beauty, your goodness, your grace. And may our hearts be drawn, pulled to who you are. Open our eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic of today is uh, we are sojourners. That you and I here on earth, that we are sojourning. So if you can tell your neighbor, this is what I do back at home, tell your neighbor you are a sojourner. And that's how it usually goes for visitors at our church as well. That you... Are displaced here on earth and this is one of the main lessons that God has for his people in scripture that we are displaced from home that we have a temporary dwelling here and if we do not understand that what we will always do is try to build homes on sand houses on sand and eventually you start to realize that deteriorate, deteriorates And uh, because of that, we, you and I, we have this longing, uh, you could call it nesting, if you will, to want to make something home and make something temporary, a place that you you want permanent. But we have this longing, and culture has taught us that for quite some time. Culture has had a fascination of this idea of home. And so help me out. Uh, We see this in several movies, several songs, in The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy, what does she say? There's no place like home. Elvis, once saying, home is where the heart is. E.T. I know the young people haven't seen it, but you know the image. Phone, home. And because I'm from Korea, let me uh, bring it back to a K-pop group. I know that uh, 10 years ago, a K-pop reference wouldn't have uh, connected. But even if you don't have any Korean connection, you know K-pop. And so the original uh, K-pop group, Sateji, some of you know Sateji, saying, come back home. Throughout culture, throughout generations, there is this sense this longing to be home i mean charles dickens you know well-known author once said the word home is stronger than any word that any magician or uh, that any magician can conjure up that's the power of the word home i mean it's so powerful that when you miss home we actually call it that that pain we call it something to be homesick. Not because you're physically ill, but because your heart so longs for something that it's in that desire for home, there's a a pain that grows within you. And what you will see is that throughout Scripture, God is always helping his people understand this is not home. And so if you can tell your neighbor, this is not home. This is not home, and we have a longing for home. So in this text, Jesus exhorts his people, his disciples, in verse 1. And so if you don't have your Bibles open, I encourage you to open up your Bibles, turn on your phone, don't go on Instagram, because I'm going to refer back to Scripture regularly and it's not up here, and it's for you to be able to get comfortable with Scripture Uh, so that you're not always depending on a screen, but especially if you are new to church, if you don't know this Christian culture well, it's okay for you to just download an app now and just get comfortable with it. So we're in the book of John. It's written by uh, the disciple John called the Beloved One. And he writes this account, and this is right before he goes to where Jesus goes to the cross. It's the night before. And his disciples are anxious. His disciples are troubled. And so in verse 1 of John 14, what you see is, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus knows that his disciples are anxious. Because all week, he's been telling them of what will happen that he will lay down his life, that he will go to the cross. So twice this week, Jesus even himself shares honestly. In John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled, is what he says. This is Jesus speaking. In John 13, 21, he says, after these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit it would have been entirely appropriate for his disciples to be comforting Jesus. But the disciples are so anxious about Jesus leaving that the disciples cannot see outside of their own concern, help Jesus. So it is Jesus who cares for his disciples and the night before he is crucified. And that is Jesus. He is always the one that looks out for us. No matter what he is going through, he knows your struggle. He knows your pain. He knows what this church is going through. And so he, being the one with all authority, can say, do not be anxious. And then what does he say in verse 2? Look with me in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. Do not be anxious, do not be troubled. And in verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? We would call this place heaven. But isn't it so interesting? As Jesus is is about to depart from them, how does he comfort his people? his disciples, he doesn't talk about heaven as this ethereal place. He talks about heaven as home. I'm going to my father's house. In my father's house, there's many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. How does he comfort his disciples in the midst of anxiety and being troubled? He talks about home. He talks about home. Jesus comforts his people by telling them about their true home. What's Jesus doing? He's helping the disciples understand their greatest longing. This is why your hearts cannot rest because you're not home. So he talks about heaven as home. We see this throughout all culture, and one way that we see it is through Frodo and Samwise Gamgee. In their journey to destroy this ring, what do they do when they are uncomfortable, when they're distressed? They think about the shire. They think about the strawberries. They think about laying their head on their bed because that's what home does it's the place where you rest but the thing is the disciples they had a home so why is it that jesus tells them about this other home it's because jesus knows these homes here will not last these are not your true homes So even though he can say, you'll go home after I am crucified, he does not do that. He says, do not be troubled. Let me tell you about home. Helping them understand this is where your hope should lie. Not in the comforts of this world, but in the comfort of the next. Have you ever thought about why a home is so important? For most people, they don't. For most people growing up in a a comfortable home, for many of you, you have very nice homes and nice cars. Chances are this is not a question that you ask regularly. But you know who does ask this question, what is home, what's the meaning of home, what do I long for home? Do you know who asks that question? Those who come from broken homes, those who come from hard times when they grew up. Maybe going through a divorce will do that. You know who else asks that are military families where they're moving around constantly? Others who ask that are missionaries, those who live abroad for quite some time. And then you come back home and you recognize, oh, this is not home. And then when they go back to that other country, they don't feel like they're at home. Home, what is home? Home. I would define it as home is the place where you belong. You just recognize, oh, this is where I belong. It's a great feeling. If you feel that here, that's wonderful. You feel like that maybe here in this church community. Even in the midst of church transition, you feel like this is home. It's comforting. People know you, you have a sense of belonging. And that sense is so important. When that's rattled, there is no foundation. So I went to Korea in 2011. After graduating seminary, I had an opportunity to serve at a church called unity Church. 70,000 people. It's like a small city. In that, I had the opportunity to live in a place where I would call not my home. But it was interesting if you visited Korea or if you visited a place where you feel like everyone else looks like you, you have a sense of belonging. So I remember feeling that as I would lead, walk out the subway and one in uh, the first week of arriving in Korea, looking around and thinking, oh, this is interesting. I feel like I belong. And it wasn't a spiritual sense. It was because everyone else had black hair and an Asian face. So I thought, oh, home. And then I would start to speak. <laughs> and very quickly, I would recognize, I'm not home. And the other would recognize, oh, you are not, you're not you don't belong here. And so if you don't know Korean, to say hello is, annyeonghaseyo. Right? I'm not sure how that sounds to you. To me, it sounds pretty good. <laughs> to the average Korean, it sounds like, right? It's, it's this American accent. And uh, when I shared this story with my wife, she's like, Oh, you don't have to exaggerate your American accent. It's very evident to the Korean ear. And So immediately, I sensed I belong, but I don't. So what did we do to get this sense of belonging? There's another pastor who served at the church. He was also a Korean American. Some of you who went to college with me would know him. We call him Wookiee, Pastor Mike. And so Pastor Mike's family and our family, every Sunday, you know what we did? We would go to McDonald's. McDonald's in Korea. And you might be thinking, oh, is McDonald's in Korea is better? No, it's worse. <laughs> and so why do we go to McDonald's when you can eat the best of Korean food? Because it was home. Because when you would order a Big Mac and you order the French fries, even with my Korean or my American accent, I can order it. <laughs> Big neck. <laughs> and we would eat and that was home. I remember <clears throat> talking to another pastor and <sighs> you know, he would say, When I go home, all I wanna do is turn on the TV and hear the sounds. Did it it, did it it. Many of you know what that sound is. It's the sound of ESPN. It wasn't because he's so interested in following that sport. It's just comforting. It's the sounds of home. You see, when you're displaced from home, that longing becomes great. You will find homes here, but never ones that last. And you have to understand that, especially because for many of us, we have beautiful homes and God has been very gracious to us. And your home is comfortable. And so in when you do have a hard day, it'll be easy to lay down your head in that home. But it's in those moments, you still have hardship. And those that hardship is a reminder, this is not home. No matter how beautiful of a house you can build no matter how much safety you ensure as as much as you want to protect your children you recognize they are not safe here in this world for us a great concern is sending our kids to an American school because for some reason schools in America are not safe anymore and it's these reminders no matter how much you do to protect Yourself and your family, you're never safe because this is not home. And this is a lesson that God is teaching His people throughout Scripture. From the beginning of the mission to the end, God is teaching His people this is not home. And so to Abraham, after Genesis 1 and 2, and the fall, and you see. Mankind becoming more and more wicked without a heart for God, where every intention of the heart was evil. You see in Genesis 12, God coming down and giving Abraham a mission. And what is that mission? Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Why is it that God had Abraham go? He could have, God could have said, stay, and I will redeem this land. But God knew what he needed to do in Abraham, to displace him, to have him feel uncomfortable so that his natural desires are now for comfort and for that to be found in God. And you would think, okay, after Abraham, then the people settle. It takes generations for his people to settle. And so Isaac, is told, sojourn in this land because of a famine. Jacob, because of his own sin, is told, arise, flee to Laban, my, fa- my brother, flee to Laban, my brother. And this is his mother speaking to Jacob. Joseph is taken right, to Egypt. The Israelites, in their slavery, God could have redeemed them. God could have taken Pharaoh out and given Israel Egypt. he does not he says no go from this place into the wilderness and worship me there and why does god keep his people in the wilderness yes because of their struggles and their sin but also to teach them man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god the new testament is no different jesus himself god himself comes down And how does he describe himself when people want to follow him? Jesus, I will follow you. Jesus responds, the son of man has no place to lay down his head, helping him understand, if you follow in my footsteps, this will be your testimony. This will be your story. Disciples, go. Don't stay, go and make disciples. Christians in 1 Peter are called elect. Exiles. Those two words are chosen together. Exiles are those who are dispersed, who don't belong, but yet they are chosen. Do you see that paradox? You are chosen exiles, and that is the Christian. You are chosen, beloved by God, known by God, dispersed, uncom- dispersed, uncomfortable here on earth, and it's this struggle. The struggle of being a sojourner highlights the reality of the Christian. And though you may not have lived abroad, though you may not struggle as I do of what is home, you are reminded every day, aren't you? When you see the news, when you see the division here in this land, a reminder in every which direction from the outside or from the inside from within your own family the struggles that you have in your marriage the struggles that you have in parenting all reminders every tear that you shed is a reminder this is not home and so jesus goes on shows you okay now that i've talked about home this is how you search for home this is how you find home in verse 3, he says, I am going to prepare a place. And do you see in verse 4 what he says? You know the way to which, to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? When Jesus says, I have told you something, and the disciples say, oh, we don't know what you are saying, it's not that Jesus was unclear. It's that the disciples are thick-headed, are hard of hearing. Jesus says, you know where I'm going. Thomas says so blatantly, we don't know. So Jesus makes it explicitly clear in this verse that most of us are familiar with. You don't know the way. You still don't know the way. Let me tell you the way in verse 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You've heard this. You're saying this. What does it mean? Jesus is saying, I am not a map. You don't come to me for directions. You don't come to me for advice. God, what should I do for this thing? God, where should I go in my life? Yes, he will give you advice. Yes, he is a teacher. Yes, he is a guide. In one sense, he is a map, but what he is saying here is I am not just that. I am not just wise. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Until you understand that, like Thomas, like Philip, you will not understand what I am doing and who I am. Don't just go to him for directions. If if Jesus was simply a teacher, then the lesson is for you to be a moral person. And that's it. Be a good person. And unfortunately, that's what people think Christianity is. Be a good person. And that that is not why Jesus came. He did not come to make bad people good. He came to make lost people to be found, to be saved, to be known, to be loved, to find home. It's not simply directions. It's a whole uh, reorientation of life. And so he continues on in verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Disciples are still confused. And so then in in, uh, Philip in verse 8, what does he say? Do you see with me in verse 8? Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. And then in verse 9, imagine Jesus saying these words to you. Have I been with you so long you still do not know me, Philip? Just a reminder, Jesus goes to the cross the next day. His ministry is almost done. Obviously, the cross is pretty important. But besides that, it's, he's, done, done, he's done all the teaching that he could. And he says to Philip, Do you still not know me? Do you still not know me? What is it about the disciples? And what is it about us? Why is it so hard to understand these biblical truths? Why is it so easy to hear something on Sunday and forget it, not by Monday, but by Sunday afternoon? What is it about us? There needed to be a reorientation, something deep within that needed to be changed. You see, Thomas and Philip, what they kept on thinking is, what they thought before. Okay, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to redeem Israel. And then Jesus will be the the king of Jerusalem. And we will be with him there. And what he is showing them, he's saying, you cannot understand Jesus. Until we understand that Jesus is God and he has come to bring us home, Christianity will not make until you know that Jesus is God and he has come to bring you home, not make you a good home here, to bring you home. Not until you understand that will Christianity actually start to make sense. It's obvious, right? Especially for those of you who are well-versed with this faith. It's obvious. But is it your heartbeat? How do you know that you are not putting your hope in this world, but in the next? How do you know that you don't go to Jesus simply as a teacher and a guide, but that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is your God? How do you know? One of the ways that you know where you put your hope in is how you pray. What do you pray for? Are all your prayers about here in this life, your finances, your family, your children, their future... Is that where all your prayers go? Or is it about home? God, help me to be faithful till I get home. God, help me to resist the sin so I can, be, so I can make it home. God, I pray for my neighbor. Yes, for their struggles, but God, may they know you so that they would go home. This is a struggle that we all have. We all have homes. We all can understand that this is home in one sense. But you will know that home does not truly feel like home. And this is one of the great lessons of life. One of the great stories, the great classics, that all authors refer to is Homer's Odyssey. And Homer's Odyssey, if you don't know this story, it's about Odysseus. A Greek war here, after, after the Trojan War, he is, it's, the story is not about his time in the war. His story is about, the story is about his journey on the way home. And it's this journey of this, this hero taking 10 years to get home and on his way home encountering all these different people and, and challenges. But the kicker is this. When he gets home, his wife doesn't recognize him. His son doesn't recognize him. And so even near the end of the story, it's about him making home his home because his home is not home. And it's fascinating that this story that was written 7th century bc has resonated generations later why because this is a longing that we all have this is something that we can all understand even when we are home and in the comforts of our own home there's something within us us that tells us we aren't home when jesus says i am the way the truth and the life he is saying i am the way home i will bring you home, not simply by my teaching, but because of who I am. When you're displaced, when you're uncomfortable, don't just pray, God, help me to get over this situation. Maybe it's in the workplace, maybe it's family related. Often our prayers are short-sighted. God, help me get through this. The idea that Jesus would say is, no, let your hearts not be troubled. Let me tell you about home. What Jesus is saying is, Yes, I will help you, comfort you now, maybe even heal you through sickness, maybe even bring you through the financial hardship. But my ultimate goal is not simply comfort and making home here on earth, but so that you would long for the next. And so it's in your, it's in your discomfort you will find that God is doing a work within you. I found this to be especially true living in Korea. I have the privilege of being able to pastor a church where there's people everywhere. U.S., Canada, Philippines, Mexico, Guatemala, France, China, U.K., Germany, Austria, Malaysia, Vietnam, North Korea. I've got everybody. It's wonderful. I love doing ministry in Korea. The thing is, many of them grew up in the church. But for some reason, I've seen lies radically transformed in soul it's not because soul is that spiritual it's not that spiritual why is it that i've seen so many people their lives change while they were in korea because they were displaced they didn't have a home There was something that they realized they needed. They had maybe put their faith in God, but it was in Korea being displaced from the comforts of home, the comforts of parents and siblings and friends that they've had all their lives. It's in this place. They now truly have to put all their money, in one sense, on God. In that basket. And say, okay, God, I'm giving myself to you. There's a guy named Gary. He was mid-40s when he came out to Korea, wealthy, wealthy man, had done everything that you could imaginable. He's had the girls, he's had the money, he's, he's had the career. He was out in Korea just taking a break, so tired of it all. Decided to start going to church, ended up somehow joining my missions team, going to Cambodia to help trafficked people. And during the training, the weeks leading up, he had this dark demeanor. I thought, why is he going on this trip? All the questions that I would ask him were one-word answers. Having a heart-to-heart with him, he shared a little bit about his struggles in life. When we go to Cambodia, we're working with children who have been trafficked or children who would be trafficked. And it was there, when he was ministering to these children, he sensed God's love. And from day one, when I would ask him, hey, how are you doing? He couldn't respond without getting emotional. So you would think the emotions would wear off by day two. No. Day three? No, literally to the last day. Hey, Gary, how you doing? <laughs> this big dude. And as I was talking to him, he, you know, he asked me once, what do you think's going on? Why am I so emotional? I was like, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? So as we were talking, he realized, oh, I've had so much comfort and pleasure here in this world. And never satisfied. But there." in the poorest of countries, with the poorest of people. He found joy. He found home. Why? Because he didn't have, he 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 wasn't able to lean on those comforts that he had. But now he had to put all his faith in God. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am not just a way. I don't just light a path. I am the path. All other paths are fraudulent, false claims, giving you short-term pleasure, short-term answers, never answering your deep longings. He speaks the truth. There are facts. He is the truth. Apart from knowing him, nothing else makes sense. He's the truth about God. He's a truth come from God, he is God. Until you see him as that, Christianity again does not make sense. You see, he is the truth and he is the life, and that is why he is the way. So when he says, Do not be troubled, I go to prepare a house. Because he can say it because not because he's wise, but because he is the truth. And so lastly. As we search for home, we can find that presence here on earth. In verse 6, as we read, he says, No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And now on, you do know him and have seen him. He talks about the home in the beginning, the Father's house, and then he changes the language to my father. Do you see that? Do not be troubled I'm going home to prepare a place, my father's house. And then he changes the subject to focus from the house to the father. Why? Because for Jesus, home is not heaven. Home is where the father is. Right? This is home. Right? You have a nice home now, but if your spouse is not there, if your children are not there, If your parents are not there, it's not home. It's comfortable, but it's not home. What Jesus is showing us here, the Father's house, it's huge. It's wonderful. It's awesome. But what I long for is the Father. Is that what you long for? Home. The home that we long for is not essentially a place, but it is a person. And this is the good news. God is saying, I am your home. No matter what, Kind of family you come come from. I have, a, I have I've had the privilege living in Korea, seeing Koreans who are adopted all around the world, and there's just something that they long, even if they come from a good family, something that they long for: home, a sense of belonging. And here on earth, it's the presence of your heavenly Father that makes any place a home. And so I can say. In Korea, with my horrible accent, I found home. I found home doing God's work. And that will be the challenge for you. When you do God's work, you sense his presence. So even later on, he talks about that in verse 12 and 13. Once you know me, if you believe me, then you'll do my works. You'll do greater works than these He talks about the work of God because it's only when you do the work of God you have the greatest sense of presence. You sense God's presence in a couple of ways. Once, when you do do the study of the word and you pray at home. Even when, when you're home alone in your room, you sense his presence. You sense his presence here in the congregation. You see that throughout the Psalms. It's in the congregation you sense his presence. But one of the p- most powerful ways that you sense his presence, you take that step of faith, you do that crazy thing, go from your father's house to the land I will show you. When you leave that place, you do that step of faith, the thing that God's calling you to do, it's the thing that, that where you have to put all your eggs in that basket. It's that kind of faith. When you do that, you recognize, oh, God is real. I'm not sure about you, but for me, who, who you know, I grew up in the church, struggled a lot as of maybe the past five years. Is God real? As a pastor, struggling with that, recognizing it. Am I? Do I believe this because of simply the thoughts that I've been told over and over? Especially as you see pastors and churches fail, wondering, is this gospel real? And I'll tell you, one of the ways that I have been most assured is not just reassessing my faith, why I believe what I believe, but going out in faith, doing his work, and then seeing him work. Yes, I've failed many, many times, but it is in that place. You sense God's leading. Sometimes you hear wrong. Sometimes you hear and you follow through and you see God work, and boom. All you can do is sing, how great thou art. Because he's working. It's crazy to me that, you know I was talking with, you know, hung over there. I haven't seen him since college. It's crazy to me that I lived in Korea. It, it is. It's still crazy. To, it's crazy to me that I planted a church in Korea. It's God's humor. My cream's so bad. When I planted the church, I told God, "You provide the people, you provide the place. I'll give everything that I got." He did. He provided the initial 25 people to come to my living room to worship. It was amazing. We found the place, and to, work, to start a church in America is not as hard because you can use, for example, a school building to start a church. In Korea, you cannot. You cannot use any public facility. So you have to have, to have money, or you have to be starting at a different church, but that's also hard. And so God provided those two hardest things, so I thought, okay, I'll plant a church. We met at the school because I knew the principal. He quietly told us, okay, come in. You can worship here. We launched the service. It was wonderful. That Friday after we launched the church, I get a call from the principal. Hey, Joel, um, bad news. You can't, you can't meet here anymore. <laughs> One week after we started, I thought, oh, well, I, I put it in God's hands, right? If, if he doesn't provide the place, I'm just going back home to the land of Chick-fil-A, right? So that Friday, I get the call. I tell the church on Sunday what's going on. Just Heads up, we don't know how long we'll be at this, at, at this facility. Uh, that Saturday, I go with the children's pastor. We go to Itaewon. It's the, the clubbing central of, uh, of Korea. Uh, any given Friday, Saturday night, you literally have people from all around the world clubbing. So I thought, what a, what, why not start a church there? Uh, Saturday morning, we, we walk from one end of Itaewon. We knock on church doors. Annyeonghaseyo, right, with my horrible Korean, just trying to get through, trying to tell them what I'm, what I'm doing. Our children's pastor, uh, you know, she's Korean, so she can speak. And so we go through church to church, and unfortunately, it wasn't a success. Uh, no, thank you. You know, we, we don't have any space for you. We hope you find a space. Go to the next church. Oh, sorry, we don't have any space. Go to the next church. Oh, sorry, we don't have any space. The whole day has passed, not knowing what God wants. We finally go to this one church. It was in the basement, dark area. Pastor wasn't there. There was a phone number. Call the phone number. You could tell it was, a very, it was an African church, very, very charismatic. So I thought, well, you know, maybe here. I Call him, tell him our story says oh sorry no space but there's Hamilton Hotel down the street we've done some stuff there maybe you can afford it if you don't know Hamilton Hotel in in, in the heart of Itaewon it's a fl- it's a flagship uh hotel it was there from the 60s everyone knows of it in my mind I thought there's no way there's a reason I never went there to to look for space because there's no way we can afford it well we literally walk in the doors, go to the front desk, ask, is the manager here? Okay. Manager comes down. Start sharing my story. Ask him, oh, do you go to church? Do you attend church? Are you Christian? No. Oh, okay, well, we'll see how this goes. Share our story with him how the young people of Korea aren't going to church how we believe there's a Christianity that's really about the gospel, about grace, not be better and do better, using shame and fear to change somebody, but there's a gospel of love. Sharing this with him through a translator, I tell him that I want to reach and help the young people in Korea who are hurting. And I kid you not, this man who is so seemingly against Christianity, one tear falls from his face. Okay, we go to the second floor, this banquet hall just big enough for a new church to get set up. I'm thinking, oh, this is perfect. I wish I can plant the church here. But in my mind, I'm thinking, there's no way we can afford it, 25 people. How in the world? And then he says, without even me asking, oh, you're a small church, new church? I'll give it to you for cheap. It was one mil a month, one mil Korean one a month, which is an equivalent of about $1,000. I was like, oh, we can afford that? And so I told the church next week, hey, God provided. I can tell you another story, but I won't because of time, of how we ended up moving from there. And it's these times when you're pushed to your limits. You have no resources left. Thank God you got to deliver. If you don't deliver, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. It's in that you recognize God's presence. You haven't seen God, but you can see him when you obey. You see, you don't obey God to get something from him, but it is in your obedience, in your going out, you see him work. And how does Jesus then close this whole time? He says, go and you will do greater work than I do. Isn't that amazing? You Little old you, little old me, will do greater work than Jesus. How can that be? Obviously, we're not going to do anything like the cross and saving people. But he's talking about scope. You will talk to people and be with people in ways that Jesus physically could not. Here in Naperville. Here in the Chicagoland area. God has put you out here to be ones to bring others home. You see, this was a family mission. The Father sends the Son. The Son goes to the cross. Son ascends, sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in us. What do we do? We don't save people. We share about the work that Christ has done. There is no pressure outside of rejection and persecution. But outside of that... All you you are is a messenger. And you will, it is hard to put your faith out there, especially in this cultural climate against Christianity. But I promise you, the ways in which you will experience God is when you recognize you are a sojourner. You're not trying to put your treasures here on this earth. You're living for the next. So you can say, because of that, you can say, whatever may come, it's going to be okay. I may have no place to lie my head down here on this earth, but you long for the next. As uh, Jesus goes to the cross, as 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 he is crucified, as he is buried, that Sunday morning as he ascends, Mary Magdalene goes to him, sees him, and this is what Jesus says in John 20, verse 17. Do not cling to me, for i have not yet ascended to the father but i go to my brother but go to my brothers family language home language and say to them i'm ascending to my father and to your father this is christ saying this to my father and to your father to my god and to your god family language when you see him face to face on that day, you know what he will say? Welcome home. Welcome home. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled that we can call you Father. It's something that we've said over and over and over. God, we recognize how powerful and how important the Father is here in this life. We recognize that even that, our earthly fathers fall short. And so even in that, we are reminded, God, you are our Father. We thank you for the work that you have done in our lives. We thank you that you have called us not just servants, but sons. Teach us over and over and over where our home truly is. We pray this in your son's name.